Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We are continuing to walk through our uh, Advent series with great anticipation, looking toward the coming of Christmas. And today I'm going to read from uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. This is God's word to you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I'm not sure why I'm doing this, but I am. I have started over the last couple of years, I can't really blame it on my wife, I'm not sure who I can blame it on, but I've started the last couple of years uh, watching Christmas movies. You're already laughing. And I, and I don't mean... I don't mean Cecil B. DeMille that might even come anywhere close to the Bible. I mean just like a Christmas vacation. I mean, it's a wonderful life. I don't know, maybe the most popular Christmas movie of, of all time. White, White Christmas. I saw White Christmas for the first time last year. And I'm not, you know, I've been around for a while. It's the first time I've ever seen White Christmas. It is so cheesy. 
and schmaltzy and sentimental. And I loved it. I hate to admit that. Um, you know, and, and, and our, a Christmas carol, all 3,500 versions of it. Um, I, I won't even mention, you know, Home Alone, Elf. I love it when he jumps on the Christmas tree, you know. And part of it is, uh, I uh, oh, 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 a Christmas story. Now, I've never seen a Christmas story. Ralphie, as Ralphie's... You're laughing. This is, as Ralphie uh, dreams and longs for and worships a BB gun. And he's looking forward to that BB gun and he, he sleeps with that BB gun once he gets it. I love his description of Christmas morning going down the stairs with his family as they're plunging into their presents. If you've seen it, you know the scene where they're all opening the presents. We plunged into the cornucopia, quivering with desire and the ecstasy of unbridled avarice. Unbridled avarice. We could go on and on. What's my point? I've been trying the last few years to, 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 to not be quite so discouraged about Christmas? Scroogey kind of about Christmas? I'm trying to enjoy it and enjoy the people around me and my my family around me. But isn't it true? You know it. You hear it every year from the pulpit. There are all kinds of messages that come at us from every direction about the meaning of Christmas. What in the world are we doing here? What is this about? It's about angels, it's about harmony, it's about family, it's about peace on earth, we hear. Stars in the sky and and joy and giving. And then, of course, the Scrooges, and I know you're out there, I can see you. It's a hassle, it's exhausting, it's expensive. You know these messages, don't they? They come at us from every direction. And we have expectations. We expect it to be joyful, and and so often we're disappointed. We expect it to be happy because we're told we're supposed to be happy, and sometimes we're not happy. It doesn't work out the way we planned. But there is one thing that I think unites all of us. No matter what your family situation is, your background, or what your experience of Christmas is, what your favorite Christmas movie is, there is no time of the year, there is no season of the year that reveals to us what we worship more than Christmas. I'm convinced of it. Think about it. You've usually got some discretionary time. There's usually somebody coming along asking for financial help. There's church, there's parties, there's all kinds of uh, various uh, celebrations. There's a, a pressure to spend a lot of money. It reveals, like no other time of year, what our priorities are, does it not? Whether you're a Christian or not. 
What do you worship? What is located right at the center of your heart? And you have no intention of moving it. What is it? Everybody worships something. What is it? Well, let's take a few minutes this morning. Perfect time of year. Let's take a few minutes this morning to see uh, what, what Matthew and what Micah have to tell us about worship. Our worship. Christmas worship. First, we'll see very clearly a warning about false worship. Second, we'll see very clearly a picture of true worship. A picture of, of right worship. A warning. I... One of the things I do here at, at Highlands, I'm still figuring out, but one of the things I know I do, I'm still learning, and I was thanking the class this morning, the Seekers class, for how wonderful they've been and how wonderful so many people have been in, in helping me uh, uh, learn Highlands. But one of the things I do is I convene the, the staff and kind of oversee the staff meeting along with Joseph. We sit together, and, and it's just a, a blessed time with, with staff. But one of the questions that has come up recently is, so what does Highlands Presbyterian Church look like 50 years from now? What does Highlands Presbyterian Church look like 100 years from now? And secondly, as people down the road, 50 years, 100, as they look back, what will they say we missed? What will they say were our blind spots? You know, we look back, don't we? Our parents and their parents and their parents and their parents, and we say, how could they have thought that? How did they miss that? And how we worship. What is at the center of our hearts now will make all the difference, God willing, in 25 years, and 50 years, and 100 years. What might be, we be missing? We see in this passage that there are some folks here that have something incredible. In fact, the most incredible thing that's ever happened in their midst, and they don't recognize it. They're missing it. Some people don't, don't realize the truth that is, that is right in front of them, we have a very palpable, vivid example of, of this right here. Matthew is saying that there is here, in this passage, the people of God, the people of the book, the people of the Old Testament, the covenant people of God who don't recognize the Messiah. who don't see Christ for who He is. They have the, the truth in their hands and they can't see it. They've heard the truth and they're not hearing it. Of course, there were people in the New Testament that walked with Jesus that, that looked God in the face and didn't recognize Him. That looked Jesus in the face and didn't know who He was. We have these outsiders 
these magi, these wise men, showing up and coming into the, the, the world of the, of the insiders, the covenant people of God, the people that should know better. They don't know these, these very mysterious guys, by the way, who kind of just show up from nowhere. They, they don't know the Old Testament. They don't know Moses. They're not part of the covenant people of God. And yet they come looking for the king. They come looking for Christ. And what's the response of the people? They're troubled. They're afraid. They're confused. You're from where? Who are you? What do you want? What's going on? They should be looking. They should be seeking, but they're not. They're surprised. They're troubled. They're caught off guard. Well, what about the chief priests? That's the, the people. The chief priests are also... Oh, they can find where the Messiah is promised to be born in Bethlehem in Micah 5.2. They can find that in the Scriptures, but they're not looking. They're not expecting. They're not waiting. They're not wanting. They're baffled. And these are the people... Don't miss this. These are the people that are supposed to be leading the covenant people, God's people, Israel, in worship. They're missing it. They don't see what's happening in their midst. Some people don't recognize the truth when it's right in front of them. And here's a picture of it. Here it is. But, But not only that, some people do recognize the truth and they don't want any part of it. Herod recognizes there's something going on here. And I don't like it. This is a threat to my power, my dominion, and my independence, and my sovereignty. And I will have nothing to do with it, but I will say, and this is one of the most, for me, one of the most chilling passages in the entire New Testament. When you find him, tell me where he is so that I may go and worship him. He has no intention. He has no intention of worshiping Christ. In fact, he will go this far. He will kill every baby boy two years old and younger in Bethlehem to make sure that this threat is removed. He knows something is up. And he wants no part of it. And will go to, to great lengths. You know, Jesus, I have to say this, even in the midst of, of Christmas. Jesus, read the New Testament. I hope you're steeping yourself in the New Testament. Jesus says some very troubling things. He says, I come to bring fire. I come to bring judgment. I come to split families. Some of you will die, he says to his disciples. Some of you will be put to death because of me. You know, your, parent, your very own parents will turn you into the authorities because of me. There's a cost. 
You know, we're, we're, we're going to sing at the end of our service today. We're going to sing the gospel, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. You want a summary of the gospel? There it is. We're going to sing that together. The peace that comes at Christmas is not always an inner peace. It is a peace with God. God and sinners reconciles. You know, reconciled. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he loves you. He will never desert you. He will always be there for you. But he may rearrange the furniture. When the Holy Spirit makes his home in your heart, he begins a renovation project. And sometimes it hurts. And we're we're promised that that it, it will be hard. He'll disturb us. He'll move our categories uh, around. Uh, This quote has been attributed to so many people. I don't know who first said it, but joy, joy is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of Christ. Joy is not the absence of, of trouble or pain or difficulty. It's the presence of Christ. Think about People in the New Testament, when they come face to face with Jesus, they're never, never uh, intrigued or mildly interested or apathetic. They're either terrified or angry or they bow in adoration and worship. People take Jesus very seriously when they meet him. In the New Testament. And Herod wants nothing to do with him. All right. False worship. The dangers. Not recognizing the truth that's in front of us. Or recognizing it and wanting no part of it. Well, so what is true worship? We three kings of Orient are. Bearing gifts we travel so far. Field and fountain. Moor and mountain. Following yonder star. You know what? This carol and, and others bring up uh, these, conjure up all these, these images of three kings uh, coming to the stable. We've got, a, uh, we've got it right out there in the foyer. And, and we've got the same one at our house. And we see it on village greens and in town squares and in front of churches and in front of homes. There they are, the three kings uh, at the manger scene, at the stable. And we sing that. We recognize it. We see it. We know it. The only problem is it never happened. It never happened. We don't know. These guys, who are these guys? (laughs) These guys are a great mystery. We just don't know much about these guys. Again, they kind of come out of nowhere and go back uh, to nowhere. We don't know how many there were. They, they, there's no indication that they were kings. We know they brought three gifts. We don't know how many of them came. We don't know how many were there. Um, we, we don't know exactly where they were from, but they're probably from present-day Iraq or Iran, Saudi Arabia, coming from the east. We don't know their names. Um, but they weren't, they weren't there 
at the stable, at the manger. Jesus could have been two years old. He'd already been presented at the temple. He could have been two years old. What do we do know? What do we know about them? What do we know? In the ancient world, the leading thinkers, the sort of knowledge elite, the philosopher types were often astrologers. They followed the planets. They followed the stars. And here they are. They're coming. They're, they're, they're probably uh, well-educated. They're probably some kind of leading thinker, intelligentsia type, and they're following the star, and they come. And, and the one thing that we, we do know is they come. Why do they come? Why do they come? They come to worship. And what does this worship look like? What is this, this picture that Matthew gives us of this worship? First, God, and, and please don't miss this about worship. Notice in our, our worship service at Highlands, the first thing that happens is we have a call to worship from God's Word. God calls us to worship. In worship, and we see it here, God has the first word. God will say what's going to happen. God will call us to worship. The very first sentence in the Bible, In the beginning, God. We've looked at the, the promise, the first promise of the gospel. You remember in Genesis three fifteen, Satan's head will be crushed. Christ will be victorious. We are created by God's word. We are rescued by God's word. We are saved by God's word. And when God says something will happen, it will happen. When he promises something will happen, it will happen. Last Sunday we looked at Isaiah 7.14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Next Sunday, Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And again, we see here in Micah 5, the promise that he will be born in Bethlehem. And in the next chapter of Micah, by the way, in Micah 6, there's a, there's a reference to the king of Moab that he, basically Micah says, remember when you were rescued, when you were delivered, when you were saved out of Egypt and the king of Moab wanted to curse you and he called a, a prophet, a pagan prophet to curse you? And that pagan prophet Balaam comes back and he says, There will be a star that will arise out of Judah and that star will have dominion. That's not what the king of Moab wanted to hear. So you see, this star that is being followed points to a greater star, a greater light. To Jesus Christ. God's word comes first. We see that clearly in this, in this picture of worship. But, but secondly, nobody, please don't miss this, nobody's excluded from worshiping Jesus Christ. Everybody is called, everybody is invited. Come. Come. 
If you don't recognize it, we'll tell you. If you don't want to see it, we'll go after you. Let's make it practical. You're welcome at Highlands, whoever you are. Whatever you look like, wherever you're from, whatever you talk like, whatever you've experienced, whatever your brokenness, whatever your pain, whatever your suffering, it doesn't matter how many tears, come. You are invited to worship Jesus Christ. And you will never be the same. I'll mention very briefly, I've been in a number of ministry settings. One of the unique things about my last ministry setting in in, in Greenwood is there were a number of of African-Americans in my church and they were involved in all the ministries of our church. I learned so much from them. I made so many assumptions about my my African-American brothers and sisters, and a lot of times I was dead wrong. And I found myself in settings at the university out there, Mississippi Valley, and I was a minority. It was was wonderful. It, it, It changed. It changed the way I viewed worship. It changed the way I viewed the church. This gospel, this church, this Savior, this worship is for everybody. Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, knowledge, elite, astrologers, and shepherds. This is not a club. This is not a secret society. There's no secret code. Just the gospel. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinnered, reconciled. This is for everybody. Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, uh, where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, And the weakness of God is stronger than men. There is a picture of what's going on here in Bethlehem. The foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth, but God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God Because in him you are in Christ. That's a description of this scene in Matthew 2 in a very real sense. Well, thirdly, worship is a call to action. It's a call to do something. Look at these men. They are looking They are traveling. They are going a long way to find the king, to find Jesus, to worship him. We have come to worship him. They're putting forth the effort. I'm with you. I understand sometimes it's just hard to get out of bed and drive 10 minutes. 
these guys are traveling and going and looking. And there's an urgency. There's an energy. There's a commitment. And they bow down. They bow down. They demonstrate publicly that they're not in charge. They demonstrate publicly that they have a king. They demonstrate publicly submission and honor. They bow down. And they give. They give something valuable. They give something valuable. They, they give in a very concrete way. We had some, from, from Linda and the Hartmans, we had re- requests up here this morning. Help them. Go. Send money. That's what these guys are doing. As an act of worship. There's a model. It's valuable. It's expensive. They travel a long way and they give it. So here it is. Is it the people who don't recognize? Is it Herod who recognizes but wants no part? Or it is this strange group of guys from who knows where that come to worship Jesus and they'll make every effort to get there and they will bow and they will give. The Son of God, I love this from, uh, from, from C.S. Lewis, the Son of God became a man so that men can become sons of God. The Son of God became a man so that men can become sons of God. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. That's the gospel. And it's for you and 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 for everybody. Finally, um, I don't know if many of you are familiar with the, the carol writer Christina Rossetti. I've always been intrigued by her. She lived in the, in the mid-19th century, and she was a very committed Christian and grew up in a home of committed Christians. She lived in London. She wrote a number of poems and hymns and Christmas carols. But she had an unusually difficult family life. She had to leave school at 14 because she was ill all the time. Her father went blind at a young age and she had to go work with her mother to try to keep the family afloat. She, um, she says on a number of occasions that one of her greatest desires and longings in life was to have children and she never had children. She never got married, two broken off engagements. She pay, faced poverty and a number of, of illnesses, she contracted tuberculosis and, and Graves' disease and eventually died of cancer. Isn't this a happy story on Christmas? But what's happy is she never let go of Christ. As far as I can see in her writings, her biography, she never shook her fist at Christ. She never said, I don't want, I don't recognize it, I don't want any part of it. 
She clung to the love of Jesus Christ throughout her life, knowing that he would cling to her through everything, and he did. And in the midst of this, she could write these words. Maybe some of you recognize them. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a snow stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, in the bleak midwinter a long time ago. Our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter a stable place sufficed for the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. What shall I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. What can I give him? I give him my heart. Give him your heart. Give him your worship. Give him your stuff. <laughs> Mostly, she gets it. <laughs> Give him your heart. The rest will fall into place. Give him your heart. And come and worship Christ, the newborn king. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, come to earth in a stable. There was once in a stable someone who was bigger than the whole world. There was once in a, a cattle stall, God. There is no other Worldview. There is no other God. There is no other way of seeing things that comes anywhere close to this. Lord, we pray that we would love Jesus Christ, that we would know Jesus Christ, that we would walk with Jesus Christ, that we would worship Jesus Christ. And we know, we know that all of this comes by grace. We know that, that we love because you first loved us. We know that, that we're here today in response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you are a God that never pulls us close and says, earn it. You are a God who pulls us close in love and says, I earned it. And I love you. And I will never let you go. That is a God worth worshiping. That is a God worth uh, giving everything. And so as we sing, 
as we sing to your glory and the glory of the gospel, as we worship you, we pray that you would be pleased. We give you, we give you our hearts. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.